0: It's time for News Talk 720 KDWN's Ask the Expert Hour. Have a question? Call now. 702-257-KDWN. That's 702-257-5396
1: welcome to ask the experts my name is brian black and we're speaking with brian a low of brian a low and associates good morning brian how you doing good
0: morning brian it's great being here with you excellent
1: so um brian a low and associates is a local law firm how long have you been in business here in las vegas
0: i started my practice back in 1982. okay
1: so you've been around a while you haven't been run out of town yet so i'm assuming that you're 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 as trustworthy as we can expect no uh, black marks. N- no, no black marks so far. I don't think we're going to get any in the future. Uh, we're here to discuss a very interesting case today. Brian A. Lowe and Associates, a large part of your business is estate planning and wills and trusts and uh, elder care and uh, things related to those subjects. And um, you told me that you had an interesting article come your way.
0: Well, last night I got an email, or not an email, but a uh, mes- uh, text message, and uh, one of the listeners was asking for us to maybe analyze this case that I guess they had read. Mm-hmm. And the uh, case was entitled Legal Fight Brewing in Hayes Millionaire's Estate. And this was a, an article put out by the Associated Press. Okay. And so I was thinking, well, maybe what we could do is do just a, something a little different than we generally have a question and answer. Right. In this case, a listener wanted to have a little analysis of this. And so I thought maybe I would uh, read through this article for the audience and give them a little background as to what we will be discussing today. Okay. So if you don't mind, I'll start. Go ahead. It, it says Hayes, which is Hayes, Kansas. A legal fight is brewing over the $20.6 million estate of a western Kansas man whose will was changed shortly before his February 2013 death. Mm-hmm. At issue is a letter typed on 98-year-old Earl O. Fields' stationery, the Hutchison News reported. The codicil said the Hayes man had changed his mind, stripping the Fort Hayes State University Foundation as the primary beneficiary and and instead giving the largest portion of his estate to his part-time bookkeeper and caretaker, Wanda O'Borny, describing her as like my daughter. Mm -hmm. But the foundation considers the document a fake, and the couple who said they witnessed its signing later died in a homicide suicide.
1: Well, that's not fishy at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Field, who once (laughs) served as president of the uh, Fort Hayes State University Foundation Alumni Association, owned farmland and mineral rights, as well as a land abstract and title business and extensive investments. He and his wife, Winona, who died in October of 2009, had no children and planned to give most of their fortune to the foundation. Okay. The foundation's attorney said in court records that 10 days before Fields' February 19, 2013 death, he meaning Fields, summoned then school president Edward Hammond to visit him in the nursing home. Hammond was assured nothing had changed in the estate plan. O'Borney said she found a letter in a drawer in Fields' office on the on the evening of his death. Hmm. The letter dated January twenty third, twenty thirteen, left half of the estate to her a quarter to Fields' attorney, Joseph Jetter, and a quarter to the foundation. Huh. Jetter told O'Borney it, it wasn't valid because it lacked witness signatures. A few days later, O'Borny's uh, friend, Steve Little, called Jetter and told him Field had asked Little and his wife, Kathy, to witness the signing of the document. It described the same asset split described in the letter that lacked signatures. In their depositions, the Littles said Fields signed the paper, which was dated January 22nd, in front of them, and they signed it as witnesses. Hmm. Fields said he wanted it to be a surprise to O'Barney and swore them to secrecy, uh, according to Steve Littles' deposition. O'Borny, who began working for Field in early 2008, was a trusted caretaker and employee. Her attorney uh, said in a case document, but the foundation's legal team said that the organization's share of the estate was drastically reduced in the document that added O'Borny and Jetter, neither of whom had previously been beneficiaries. The coroner's reports all into... Uh, Littles' August death, stated the couple had been contacted by the FBI about a grand jury hearing, but Jim Cross, a spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Kansas, said he he couldn't provide any information about a federal grand jury. The attorneys for O'Borney and the Littles didn't immediately return phone uh, messages from the Associated Press seeking comment. Foundation attorney John Terry Moore said he, he couldn't comment on pending litigation.
1: So what we've got here, let me see if I've got a a copy of this right in front of me. And, okay, this all sounds very fishy to me. I'm just going to tell you right now, extremely fishy. This guy, Earl O. Fields, no children, 98 years old, his wife had already passed away, has $20 million that he says he's going to leave to his alumni association. And suddenly, on the night of his death... He decides to, according to his secretary, leave half of his money to her, which is, which is, you know, at least ten million dollars. Yeah, yeah, ten million dollars, and and only a quarter of his money, five million dollars, to the university alumni association, and a quarter to his attorney. The word cahoots comes into mind here, but I don't know if that's necessarily the truth. Um, and then, of course, once the attorney who quite honestly pointed out that this letter wasn't valid because it didn't have signatures, suddenly two, uh, two witnesses come forth who later mysteriously die.
0: It, it does sound strange. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that uh, you did very well in, in coming up with some of the facts that— have to be considered now
1: well let's let's talk about that when we return we uh we've got to take a break here but we're going to be back in just a moment with ask the experts brian a Lowe is going to talk about this very strange case out of kansas we'll be back in just a moment
0: now back to ask the experts on news talk 720 kdwn
1: Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates about a fascinating case out of Hayes, Kansas, uh, regarding a a 98-year-old man, Earl O. Field, whose will is being contested. Uh, There were several interesting facts in the case. I wanted wanted you to kind of break it down for us here. Basically, uh, Mr. Field's will was changed at the last minute, allegedly, uh, stripping away the... uh, Endowment to his alumni association of twenty million dollars, and giving half of it to a bookkeeper and caretaker who had never been in the will before. Can you tell us, give us a little more of a breakdown of what's going on here?
0: Okay, let me tell you just a little bit about uh, the law. You know, so many people come in to me and and say, "Well, here are some facts. Am I a winner?" tell me what the law is so that I know what I have to do in planning. Mm -hmm. It it reminds me of when I went to law school. And Mm -hmm. before I went to law school, I had started out when I was right out of uh, high school in a civil engineering program and matriculated into engineering. And then I decided later on to go into economics and statistics, but all my mathematics Mm -hmm. uh, from engineering came with me. And so I went into kind of an econometric model. And so in each of my classes, I could come up with an answer, a best answer. And all my life, I was always coming up with the best answer. Right. And after I uh, got my bachelor's degree, I went to get my MBA and while in business school, The school was a very quantitative program. It was a two-year program, and so we used a lot of math in coming up with the best answer. As Mm -hmm. a businessman, you wanted to get the best answer. Right. Then I went to law school, and in law school, you take five, six classes. There's never anything that you hand in. Mm -hmm. At the end of the semester, you go in and you take an exam, and they give you a lot of fact patterns, and you write on it, and you come up with the the answer and your so,
1: interpretation of the answer that's right and so
0: <laughs> what I did was I took all of the uh, uh, the issues that I could find and having studied the law in this particular area and read all the cases and I came up with the best answer in every one of my exams
1: hmm how'd that go
0: well the Dean of the school called me in about two weeks later And he said, Mr. Lowe, I don't think you're going to be much of a lawyer. And uh, maybe you should think about some other profession. And I said, well, what's wrong? And they said, well, what you did was you came up with answers. Right. And he said in the law and with a lawyer, you don't come up with the answers. What you do is you come up with the arguments. You look at the issues. Right. And then... You argue the issues because with every case, there's at least two sides. There's one side arguing one set of, of facts, and there's the other side arguing another set of facts. Right. And so in this particular case, it's interesting that someone want, wanted us to analyze this case because there are issues on both sides here. And the trier of fact, the judge, will make some determination as to who is going to prevail,
1: you know, it's, that's interesting to me because I'll tell you, um, when I got my copy of this article, I read it and I just instantly came to a conclusion. Um, and I and I actually thought to myself, why is this even going to court? I feel like there's somebody should have stepped in at some point and gone, that's ridiculous. You need to come with me to jail. You know, but uh, tell me what's, what's going on with this case.
0: Well, uh, there are some facts on both sides, as I say. First of all, there's a lot of money involved, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of incentive on both sides, both Oborny and the university. Right. Both have a real issue here, and so they have some uh, desire of prevailing, let's say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: with uh, $20.6 billion. This was a 98-year-old man, 98-year-old man, and it says in this uh, in this article— that he was living in a nursing home.
1: Right. Because he, he summoned the president of the university to visit him in the nursing home. So. That is correct. Right.
0: And it's interesting that the letter that uh, was, they were putting forth as a codicil did not appear to be a wit- witnessed document.
1: So a codicil is like an addendum to your will or a it's change. It's an
0: amendment to the will. Okay. And it has to be signed just like any will. If uh, if it was all in the decedent's handwriting, then it would have been, been a holographic will and would mm-hmm. not have had to have been witnessed. Interesting. But, but in this case, it was typed on his stationery. And it was interesting that this stationery was stationery from Fields' office, which okay. was not at the nursing home.
1: Okay, so he lives at a nursing home where he has to be cared for, you would think, at least— Somewhat, and the 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 letter that reassigns all of his money is found somewhere else in a drawer and typed up, of course, not in his his own handwriting.
0: Yes, and that document that was found in his desk was found, uh, was allegedly put in there, mm-hmm. signed by Fields, a cut just a couple of weeks before his demise. Huh?
1: So. <laughs> I guess at some point somebody's going to see, you know, if he ever took a day trip back to his his office.
0: And <laughs> someone did take a look at that document, and that was, and this was after his death, because it wasn't found until the night of his death, mm-hmm. and that was found in his desk, right, at home.
1: You know, strangely about that, if if I, I just can't. I, if if I were working for somebody and I was their caretaker, I mean, the word care does appear in there. You would think that when they died, your first impulse wouldn't be to run home and search the desk. I guess maybe if $20 million is involved, maybe maybe so.
0: Well, that's true. But probably as a caregiver, he that caregiver was most likely not in the nursing home. Once you go to a nursing home, mm-hmm. it's uh, a... Uh, a place where you're going to receive professional assistance, Mm -hmm. medical assistance. And someone is there taking care of you and making sure you have medication, have a clean room, eating three meals a day, et cetera. So now there are two different places here. Mm -hmm. And Jitter, who saw it after Fields' death, saw the document
1: the unsigned letter the
0: unsigned letter
1: unWitnessed letter rather unwitness
0: letter right and he said it's not a valid codicil because it was not witnessed
1: so this is this guy jetter he is not only field's attorney but he is also in this new codicil a beneficiary of a quarter of a 20 million dollar estate so he stands to gain five million dollars yet he still says that it's not a good codicil
0: it's not valid mm-hmm. and he jitter had been Fields' attorney. And, hmm. and Jitter was not the one who prepared a codicil or, or whatever.
1: Well, some mysterious—well, I mean, I, the, the, I guess the supposition here is that Fields himself did it. He, he at some time typed it up. Yes. So, so what's next now? Sir? Now
0: you have some evidence that's coming in from O'Borney's friends saying that they had witnessed a document and had signed it, that they saw Fields sign the document right. and in Fields' presence, had they had witnessed it and signed it.
1: The, but there's no signatures on it.
0: But the document that was presented, there were no signatures on it. So is there another document? Is there a codicil that may have been witnessed mm-hmm. but is not being presented? So since that's not being presented, you it can't be considered in as evidence. So... Maybe you would prove up a lost codicil, but in proving up a lost codicil, you're starting uh, what the law requires as far as proving up a lost document.
1: So you, you, there actually is a place in the law where you can prove that this 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 new will existed, but we can't find it. That's that's something that that has been done in the past.
0: Yes, and every, just about all states have a. Uh, a statute that will allow someone to prove up a lost will, for instance, a person, a, 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 a client gives to the attorney a the document. Mm-hmm. He thinks that that is going to be safe in the attorney's office. Right. But someone in the attorney's office misplaces it. It disappears. You cannot find it. But the client felt when he died, it was in the attorney's office and it would be probated okay but it ends up that it wasn't
1: when we return we're going to talk a little bit more because as strange as this case is it gets stranger we're talking about a 20 million dollar estate we'll be back on ask the experts with brian a Lowe and associates
0: now back to ask the experts on news talk 720 kdwn
1: Welcome back. I'm Brian Black on Ask the Experts. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe and Associates. And a brief recap there's a legal fight brewing over a $20.6 million estate for a man, uh, who, a deceased man named Earl O. Fields, who had left his $20 million to his alumni association, but at the last moment after his death, a unwitnessed codicil to his will was discovered by his caretaker, leaving half of his money to her. Um, so. Yeah, we've gotten to the point where they've discovered the codicil. Uh, the attorney for the deceased, who is also a beneficiary of the will, has said, no, this is not a, a valid codicil because it doesn't have witness signatures. Well, then suddenly uh, the caretaker's friend, Stephen Kathy Little, appears saying we did in fact sign a codicil to his will, giving half of his money to our friend, uh, Miss O'Borney. Um, it's somewhere, we don't know where, but we signed it the day before that other one was dated on February 22nd. Um, so you, you were talking before we, we went to the break about a lost codicil or a lost will and how a person could, pl- can you elaborate on that just a little bit more?
0: Well, as I say, or was saying at the time, people lose things, uh, but in in this state, in order to prove up a lost will, you have to have witnesses that will come in mm-hmm. and testify that they knew what the will said Right. and that they saw him sign it mm-hmm. and that at the date of his death, when he died, he thought that that will or codicil was still in effect. Right. And so there are certain things that you have to establish. And in this particular case, the witnessed document does not appear to be something that has been uh, put into probate mm-hmm. and uh, proven up.
1: Right. So we so. don't even have the signed document. So it might be a different story, maybe a stronger case if there if it was actually present. We don't even have it, but we do have two witnesses, uh, Steve and Kathy Little, who were friends of the— new majority beneficiary who is going to receive 10 million dollars
0: that is correct
1: Uh, unfortunately there's a twist in the case after this point so we've got 20 million dollars at stake the university's fighting it the fbi is brought in and they decide to convene a grand jury Um, can you explain the the grand jury process for us just quickly
0: generally grand juries are put together for an investigative process by uh, citizens uh, that are put together into a grand jury and they'll investigate government or whatever, mm-hmm. or the, uh, in the United States, uh, uh, in order to indict someone, it has to go through a grand jury or it will go directly to the court on information mm-hmm. and the, the court will indict. But in a lot of, uh, criminal cases, there's a grand jury. This case the FBI was involved, which mm-hmm. means it was probably something federal. Right. And uh, generally, the feds don't get involved with wills and trusts and things like this. It's so, like some
1: sort of interstate commerce thing going on there, or something.
0: Yeah, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I hate to th- say that it was something that they were investigating here, but you just don't know.
1: So I'm Steve Little. I have just uh, done an affidavit stating that I saw this elderly millionaire sign over half of his money to my friend. And I have my wife also says that she saw this 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 uh, act, this legal act.
0: And she also allegedly witnessed.
1: it. Yes, exactly. We, we signed the paper. We you know, we've told it we've entered into a deposition, which is a, a court document where we're swearing to our testimony. Um, the FBI calls us and says, hey, Guess what? We're convening a grand jury. We'd like you to come in and tell us all about it. Well, unfortunately, on August 24th, 2015, uh, the Hayes were found dead uh, at a campground inside their car. Um, 64-year-old Stephen Little and 62-year-old Kathleen Little, both of Hayes, Kansas, were discovered at approximately 9 p.m. by the Webster State Park manager according to a news release, um, and primary investigation findings are consistent with a murder-suicide. Uh, no other suspects or persons are believed to be involved. So there is a couple who are involved in a $20 million contested will who say that they are the sole witnesses of a document that can't be found uh, for their friend to, to inherit $10 million, and then they die in a murder-suicide right after being contacted by the FBI. So where does that leave us legally?
0: Well, (sighs) legally, they're not going to be able to come to court. Mm -hmm. If they're not able to come to court, if the deposition was done properly, they could submit their deposition and answers to that deposition as evidence in, in the courtroom. But this is a coincidence. Some people don't believe in coincidences right? Uh, when you're talking $20 million and friends of uh, the beneficiary uh, this is a coincidence possibly
1: possibly um, my my question for you is if these people had been brought in before the grand jury and had to testify to support their testimony and their deposition would it have been better or worse for the, the beneficiary? Or is it better now that they just have the deposition, which functions as testimony, correct?
0: The deposition can, yes.
1: So now we've got but, but the testimony was, that can't be questioned.
0: But in a, in a, um, a deposition, mm-hmm. um, before the grand jury... It's generally one-sided. It's generally the state that is pr- providing all of the evidence that they have of certain bad deeds, mm-hmm. and there's no cross-examination to ferret out okay. the truthfulness of that uh, of the deposition. So you have to factor that in that uh, there was no cross-examination or or ability to uh, to enlighten the trier of fact right. as to what really happened
1: so in all likelihood what would have happened in the the grand jury is that they would have just submitted their depositions as part of the the facts of the case there wouldn't have been any kind of you know law and order style breaking them down on the stand type stuff
0: they're they're not there to be cross-examined so you bring them in Mm -hmm. uh, but uh when i mean you bring in that deposition and you can read it you get someone to act like they are the uh deponent Mm -hmm. and then the prosecutor or the attorney for let's say um uh, Mm alboni would state the question and then there would be the answer and they
1: just read the the document into testimony correct okay so so well, I guess this is a question for the police. How do they, you know, why, why kill yourself then? I mean, you, you were fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, know. you don't know. As I say, it's a coincidence.
1: It could have been a complete coincidence in that it had nothing to do with the $20 million whatsoever.
0: But what it does is, in your mind, I can kind of tell that you are thinking there is something really bad here. That uh, O'Borney probably got her friends to give this evidence and say that they witnessed it, et cetera, et cetera. And so they should they should lose and it should go to the foundation. But Wouldn't we haven't looked at some of the evidence on the other side.
1: Well, we'll do that when we return. You're listening to Ask the Experts on AM 720 KDWN with Brian A. Lowe and Associates.
0: Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720 KDWN.
1: Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates about the Fields case out of Hayes, Kansas, where a $20 million uh, estate is at stake in a fight between the former caretaker of the estate and also the uh, the alumni association of the uh, the deceased former university. Now, to me, it sounds Kind of open and shut. Just to quickly recap, 98-year-old man, he was leaving all of his money to his university alumni association. His caretaker comes up with a typed will that comes out of nowhere with no witnesses. When she's told there's no witnesses, she comes up with witnesses. The witnesses then later shoot themselves uh, before they can ever come to court and testify. It seems open and closed, but you said that there's other things to consider on the other side of the case.
0: Well, what what was the uh, decedent's intent? We really don't know what the intent is. There are a couple of uh, things that we have to think of here, though. His, one, his, his spouse is deceased, so he most likely has the ability to give away all of his property as right. he sees fit. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, uh, they live in a common law state where probably since he accumulated all this wealth— Everything is considered his, so he has the right to give it to whomever he wants. But mm-hmm. he has no children. It appears that he went to the that university, and because he served as president of the alumni association and was rah rah university, mm-hmm. um, so he had the right to say, "I want it to go to the university." But also, there was another person who came into his life. That was a good employee. Right, was his bookkeeper, mm-hmm. and was his caretaker for a period of time.
1: Well, and uh, you know, somebody who takes care of a twenty million dollar estate as a bookkeeper might do, you know, and you know, is working closely with your lawyer and with you. That's a very important person in your life.
0: But they said caretaker. Mm-hmm. Generally, a caretaker is a person who takes care of the person.
1: Right, their physical and needs. Their physical, emotionally, watching, yeah.
0: watching over them. There was no evidence that we saw where he was tucked away somewhere where people couldn't get to him. Right, says that he was living in a nursing home, so he had people around him that he could talk to. Right, He had the ability to call up the university president and say, come on over and see me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And nobody's
1: claiming he wasn't in his right
0: mind. And no one is claiming that he was incompetent, Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't have any... A lot of the facts here are left out, but there some of those facts could be helpful in, in coming up with a decision. Uh, generally, to overturn the codicil, if the codicil were valid, mm-hmm. that's going to be the tough thing. <laughs> sure. Without it being witnessed, it may not be a, a, a valid codicil. Uh, but they are not claiming that there was fraud. There was an insinuation that there was fraud on Orborny's part. Mm-hmm. Uh, duress. There doesn't appear to be duress because the caretaker wasn't there kind of pushing him on to do certain things.
1: And one would think it's, if there was duress, then it would be a signed document, you know, if they if you that's right, you know, the, it would have been
0: finished. That's right. It would have been all done. Uh, undue influence. There was certainly the ability to unduly influence this man. But as I say, he had access to people that were around him, the the executive director of the nursing home, whatever. Uh, he had the ability to get them. Um, he seemed to know what he owned in the way of assets, and he decided that this one lady who had come into his life uh, was helpful, and he wanted to make a change. Sometimes giving assets to his attorney, uh People will like to do that because sure. the attorney has done so many good things for him. Has helped him gain the $20 million to begin with. Right. And so he wants to give the attorney something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does not appear that his attorney was involved in doing the will because if the attorney was involved in doing the will, then there's almost a surety that they're going to claim that there was some undue influence on the part of the attorney. Right. So the attorney divorced himself... From any issues here, let it prove out by itself. Right. And if you're going to become, if you're an attorney and you're going to be a beneficiary under a client's will, you have to tell them, go somewhere else. Right. Go to another attorney. Have somebody else do your will for you because I cannot do it.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, the, the appearance of impropriety That's is, right. is what you need to avoid. So you know, this goes to court. Who do you want to, who would you want to, whose lawyer would you want to be?
0: Well, with the facts that are here, probably the, if attorney, you want to win. Uh, the attorney for the uh, university. Right. Because I don't know if they can prove up that codicil. It's not a holographic codicil. Not handwritten. And it's n- and, that's right. And it's not witnessed. And so the, I think that's a big uh, flaw in this whole uh, argument of abonis that, you know, we should sustain this codicil.
1: Now, is it in the realm of possibility that this is one of those cases that's only being pursued in the hopes of a settlement? It could be. I, I mean, we're it, talking about $20 million here, and if the university, I would imagine, just wants to stop what they're doing, they could probably part with some of that money and let it go.
0: They they could and sometimes it does lead to a settlement. Uh, I don't know if it was on the air, but I talked about a similar case that I had a number of years ago. Yes, we did talk about that. Yes. Okay, and in that case, uh, the university just wouldn't let loose, but they they had a problem. They couldn't prove up a lost will. Right, so they got the settlement. <laughs> That's right. They uh, we proposed a settlement to right. them if they would just stop giving you know creating problems because they went from. The, the district court of Clark County to the Supreme Court of Nevada to the federal court of the United States. I mean, they just would not let up because of the size of the estate. Right. And we finally offered them a settlement and they took it.
1: So if someone, uh, you know, uh, obviously this is a strange and unusual case. But the, when somebody is is planning their will, their trusts, they need to come to you. Why?
0: They need to come to an attorney so that everything that is done is done with the idea that, I mean, the attorney's looking out for the end result. Now, what will bring about an end result? It's the facts, it's, it's how you set this up. And if you're, if it appears that you're acting under some undue influence or mm-hmm. incompetence or whatever, then you've got to do whatever it takes to establish the fact that you know what you're doing. And sometimes that means that you've got to get a professional that will come in and talk to them and determine, yes, they have capacity. Right. And then you have to have witnesses that will, that will talk with them and and make sure that they understand what they own in the way of assets and who they want to give it to and why they want to give it to them. Right. There are things that are done when you are doing a will that, you don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. Maybe 25, 30 years later.
1: Absolutely, and you want somebody with ex- you want somebody with experience who can tell you, well, gosh, ten years ago I represented a guy, and this happened, and so therefore we have to prepare for this eventuality. and And somebody like yourself, or, or one of the attorneys at your company at Brian Aloe and Associates, can help somebody with that planning so that they're not laying in the nursing home. Uh, you know with their typewriter in their lap trying to, to type up a codicil that has no legal binding.
0: That's correct.
1: So if you're interested in planning your estate, and, and you should be interested, no matter how old you are, anything can happen, give Brian A. Lowe & Associates a call. Their number is 702-259-0002, or you can visit them online at brianalowe.com. That's Brian with a Y, Lowe with an E, brianalowe.com. You're listening to Ask the Experts. My name is Brian Black. We'll be back next Monday with more advice from Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Thanks for being with us, Brian.
0: Thank you, Brian.